President John D. Amos met his wife, Sister Michelle Amos, when they were students at Southern University. He was not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the time, and she had big dreams of working as an engineer for IBM. They never could have imagined where life would take them, but today they serve together as mission leaders of the Louisiana Baton Rouge Mission. President John D. Amos was commissioned in the Navy and Navy Reserve, where he spent 21 years as a nuclear power engineer before working for Siemens Energy for over a decade. He was also formerly an adjunct professor at the University of Central Florida. He and Sister Amos have been married for over 30 years and are the parents of three children. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am honored to have President Amos with me today. President Amos, thank you so much for welcoming us into your home. Thank you, Morgan. It's great to have you. We, we love return missionaries. <laughs> well, I'm proud to be one. I, I want to ask you a few questions after hearing Sister Amos's retelling of your story and her story, the story of you two as a couple. I have some follow-up questions that I'm wondering (laughs) if you can help me with. So the first question is, when you met Sister Amos, what was your first impression of her? And tell me a little bit about how the two of you met. She, I guess my first impression was that she was a pretty girl and uh, smart and had different things going on that I, I didn't understand at that time because she was real active in the church. So she never had time for the stuff, you know, college kids like to do. Right. But we were in classes together and uh, this one class, an engineering math class, she sat in the desk right in front of me and her hair would sit on my desk. So I'd pull her hair and sitting next to her was my study buddy, which was a girl too, uh, Monica. But Monica was like six feet one, so I couldn't date her, so we just studied together. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one night, Monica and I were studying, and you know, you shoot the breeze when you're studying, and, and she's like, you know, John, you know who would make a cute couple? It's like, no, who's that? Say, you and Michelle Wright. Oh, really? Hmm, I hadn't thought of that. And so some weeks later when we were... The three of us were standing outside of class waiting for the previous class to let out for us to go in. I just looked at Michelle and said, so, so Michelle, when are you going to take me out? <laughs> and she just rolled with it and said, Friday. I said, okay, well, what time? Seven o'clock. What do you want me to wear? A suit. Okay. And sure enough, she bought her dad's car, picked me up seven, took me to a church dance and got to meet way too much of her family. <laughs> On the first date. And she said that it was a constitutional ball. Yeah, that was interesting, too. I I didn't quite understand why they were doing that. (laughs) But it was like a stake event where everybody dressed up in, you know, pilgrim and, <laughs> and, and and nationalist stuff from way back in the constitutional and days. And you were like, what is going on? Yeah, it was interesting. So I got to meet a lot of people that night, church people, her mom, dad, like five of her siblings. It was interesting, but it was fun and it was really wholesome. Uh, not quite what I was used to, you know, from coming from the college side. I was going to ask you, were you religious growing up? Yeah, actually, I was brought up, born and raised Catholic. 
which is in southern Louisiana, that was probably the predominant thing, especially in in my family's area, because you know, we had French influence in the, the southern Louisiana area. So almost everybody was Catholic in my circle. And yeah, I was an altar boy when I was 12. <laughs> and by the time I graduated high school, you know, church became kind of Easter and Christmas. And so I wasn't that active in, in religion and, you know, getting exposed to that wholesome lifestyle uh, seven days a week. Because even when I was really active in the church, I have to admit, it was a couple of days a week. It wasn't seven days a week, you know, and sometimes it was several hours, not days. So after you went to that church dance, when did you begin to have an interest in the religion itself outside of just Michelle? Right. It was probably, you know, a couple, three, four months after that, that I would go to her, her parents' house on Sunday and my roommates and I would go scrounge and eat. <laughs> and, you know, they would, they would invite us to church and, you know, we'd go to church and it just started working on me that this is interesting. I need to know more about what is it these people have learned that have their whole life focused around it. And it's a, it's a joyful life. And it's a real wholesome, low drama, low risk life. I, I need to know more about that. And relationships really seem to be enduring. They're not, you know, transient, like what we generally experience, especially outside the church. And so I said, okay, I want to talk to the missionaries. But I wore out some missionaries because it took me a couple of years <laughs> to answer a lot of questions or to find out that I didn't need to know answers to all the questions. And then got, got baptized basically as my graduation gift from college. So when do you feel like you, you knew that the church was true or believed that it was true? Probably about... Two or three months after meeting with the missionaries the first time, I had a real good testimony internally of the Book of Mormon, but I had too many open questions that I needed to work with to, to go you know, too serious into committing uh, to join the church. And so I needed to, you know, especially being an engineering student, I needed to answer more things. And to do that independently away from Michelle, I decided to go to seminary my whole senior year. And so I gave other students, high school students, a ride to seminary in the morning <laughs> for a year. I was class president. <laughs> so you were how old at that time? 22. Go into a high school seminary yeah. class. Amazing. Yeah. President Amos, you mentioned that you also studied engineering. Mm -hmm. And then you ended up um, joining the military. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that and, and how that kind of, as you're joining a new religion and also kind of being becoming a part of the Navy, is that right? Yeah, the Navy, yeah. Tell me a little bit about how those two worlds affected your life. Well, in college, so I was on a Navy scholarship. Okay. And so I had to go in the Navy after graduation. You had uh, already committed. Yeah, I, I committed you know, way back in the beginning. And so what was interesting, though, was when I graduated college and went in the Navy, this was pre, uh, 
no smoking in the workplace. And so it was really interesting to go to work, you know, being a, uh, a member of the church where with the word of wisdom, we don't smoke, we don't drink. And the Navy, we do a lot of that. Uh, and, and the language and, and <laughs> the, the, the law of chastity, all of those things was really different when I went in the Navy. And it was easy for me to stay pretty obedient, respectfully obedient to the word of wisdom, the law of chastity, all of those things. Because believe it or not, a lot of the, the wild and wicked Navy friends, they needed somebody that they could reference to help them improve and, and know that they could do better. And so I was generally that guy just naturally without being too imposing on them. And so it was a good mix and it made it easy as the Navy became more professional morally. Mm-hmm. It made it easier for my friends to kind of use me as a reference for them kind of going with that moral compass change that the Navy had. So as you are in the Navy and, and succeeding and, and becoming, what is, what is the right word for like rising in the ranks? I think that's a good Is that a good, yeah. a good description? So as you're doing that, your wife is also kind of thriving in her career, in a career that she didn't expect. What was it <laughs> yeah. like for you to watch her succeed in that way? Well, as, as you can imagine, Morgan, it's always nice to have your wife come home happy. And so it was always exciting to see her get more and more excited about the technical things that I always was excited about, but she wasn't. Okay. And 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 to see her uh, respected by her peers that way was was real empowering. And how would you say you mentioned earlier that you noticed early on that the gospel seemed to help? people have lasting relationships. How would you say that the gospel has blessed your marriage with Sister Amos? That's a good question. You know, coming out of college, uh, we, in engineering, especially, all I knew was engineering, so I'm going to talk about engineering. Please. Uh, You know, we had the girls that were in engineering in our circle. We had the boys that were in engineering in our circle. A few of us were dating, like Michelle and I. But you could look at our other friends and it was just very loose of what the long-term commitment of the relationship was Mm. uh, because they didn't have that common greater focus of what mattered more. And through our career, through our raising our family, it just always played in my mind what I heard the apostles say way back in the beginning that, and I'll paraphrase, no matter how much success you have, it doesn't compensate for failure in the home. And that just was our focus of staying together, keeping the, the, the real goal you know, of eternal life together being important. And I remember when, when we were engaged, going to get married, you know, we were probably a, a month or two out, and we were driving from Florida to Louisiana, and so we had a lot of time to talk. And we were talking about getting married in the temple and acknowledging that my family, who were not members, would not be able to go. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of challenging Michelle, well, we really don't need to get married in the temple. And she's like, oh, no, we got to get married in the temple. And 
we were having that conversation. I was being the devil advocate. And I remember she said something along the, the line of this only works because we could be together forever. That's all that matters. And that stayed with me and had been my focus ever since. And it really keeps you focused on what matters and all the little things that can get you distracted and discouraged don't happen because of that. That's so well said. You now have responsibility over, do you say 210 missionaries currently? Yeah. How has your experience in the Navy helped prepare you, would you say, for this experience that you're having now? Good question, Morgan. You know, President Iring, Sister Amos, mentioned that he extended the call to us. And as you can, I was never a missionary, right? So I had no clue of what you know, the day-to-day life of a missionary is. But President Iring, when he extended the calling, he looked at me and he said, you know, the Lord has prepared you from, for this calling all your life, which includes the Navy, it includes school, it includes being a student, it includes all the callings I've had. And so coming into this, I use that as kind of a cushion, a comfort cushion, to say, I could do whatever the Lord wants me to do with this. And he know what he got. So <laughs> however it works, it's he know what he's working with and we're going to make this work. Right. And I can only through faith know the Lord's hands is a step ahead of everything we're doing. But he uses my experiences to make a difference. And I could tell the missionaries when I first came, they were a little skeptical about a Navy guy right. coming in, you know, and this whole obedience thing as a missionary could get out of control, maybe. But, you know, I guess, you know, being a submarine in the Navy, it's not as strict as like a surface Navy guy. And so I think I had a good balance of what obedience is. And it has worked, I think, pretty well with getting the missionaries to feel kind of normal and natural in their progression and you know, as missionaries and, and being able to be obedient and focus and, and, and have the patience with them as they kind of continue their conversion process. I love what you said about President Iring and what he said about the Lord preparing you your whole life. And I think that that also includes your experience before joining the church. Yeah. How would you say that you being a convert to the church, a little bit older in life than a lot of people that have grown up in the church, how has that helped you as a mission president to relate to those that are investigating the church? Boy, I it has been a joyful experience here. Being from here and, and from the you know, the outside of the city from here, I sound a little different, right? And I've heard that all my career outside of Louisiana. But coming here, you know, there are interviews for baptism that the mission president does. And but my second interview, I'm doing it over Zoom. And halfway through the interview, it just occurs to me. That person I'm interviewing sound just like me. <laughs> and it just raised the spiritual experience to a whole different level. And to be able to relate of the repentance process that they're going through and the challenges of the repentance process that they're going through. It's what I went through. And it what I went through culturally, uh, too. 
exactly the same. And so it, the Lord, I tell you, he put us in the right place at the right time. And Sister Amos said that you had a feeling that you would be called to Baton Rouge. How did you, <laughs> how did you have that feeling? Okay, so I am terrible with languages. Terrible. And so when President Iring said, okay, so will y'all serve somewhere in the world for three years? Yeah. And if you need to know language, we'll teach it to you. Oh, boy, that, that started weighing on me pretty good. So after the interview, I kind of was having little prayers that please let it be English speaking. And as I thought more and more about it, I said, oh, you know, mission presidents are three years, right? Let me see what's in queue for new mission presidents. Right. You go through the list of what's opening Went up. Went through the list and it's like, oh my goodness, Baton Rouge. That is the one place in the whole world where I speak the language. That's where we're going. That is so cool. <laughs> I love that. President Amos, I just want to ask you one last question, which is the question that we I ask at the end of every episode of this podcast that I host. What does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I'm a simple guy, right, from a simple place in Louisiana. So the simple answer is all in is, is to have the heart in it. You know, it's one thing, and this is what I talk to missionaries about. It's one thing to do the stuff, but it's a whole nother level to have a reason you're doing it, being from the heart. And so for me, all in means if your heart's in it, you will not get distracted by all the other stuff that might conflict or distract you, and you'll be creative with using the gifts and time and talents the Lord gave you to do what the Lord wants you to do if you're really all in. Thank you so much. We are so grateful to President and Sister Amos for welcoming us in to our first ever interview in a mission home. It was such a treat to be with them, and you should have tasted our jambalaya. We'll be with you again on Wednesday for another new episode. Thank you so much for listening.